Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Yeah, we're doing the podcast thing. That was not the best Pacino, but... <laughs> Be damned, Evan. Pacino voice. My um, God. Welcome, people. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Welcome one, welcome all to the Beanie Podcast. Doing that not-so-serious thing today. Doing that thing where we don't know what we're talking about, but you clicked on the episode, so you know what we're talking about <laughs> before we know what we're talking about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're just going to get, uh, into this beast. It's a nice, uh, well, we'll just like maybe a little commentary. It's a beautiful, uh, summer day. Like it's just officially became summer, uh, just a few days ago. It's hot. <laughs> we've got a, we've got a cold beer. Hottest day of the year yesterday. On, yeah, like in terms of like on record for that day, not like of all time. No, just for this year. For hottest day. Oh, of this hottest year. day of the year so far. Mm-hmm. It was hot yesterday. Yeah, it was. Hot. It was yeah, pretty stinky. Just hot. sweating. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I find like when summer begins, it's kind of like you just. It's that getting used to the heat. It's like I don't complain about the heat. I'm just like I'm gonna need a day to adjust. Yeah, it's like especially when, this year because yeah. like we we. Like we did not really get much heat like this. Like, you know, usually we get like a couple of days that get up there pretty good. And yeah, but we didn't really get any sustained period of that. It kind of cooled off for a good chunk here. And then suddenly it's like, now here's the sun and here's the heat. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Apparently we're supposed to have a really hot summer, but anyway, we had a really cold winter. So yeah, yeah, there it goes. Cold winter, hot summer works for me. Um, we're not going to talk about the weather. I'll no, people. <laughs> we are going to get into something, uh, artist and industry. Let, well, let me, let me kind Related. of, uh, let me kind of bring up what's been going on for me, uh, just with, um, the film and the yeah. play. Yeah. I like to call it the film and the play. The film play. The film play. Because, uh, it's a question of, will it be a film first or a play first? Oh, okay. So, um, what's, so what happened over, so I had a location all secured and everything, but, um, that place is being sold and the window for when I could film was basically went down from five days to one day. And so I was like, Oh shit. And so I was like, okay, so I was like, what can we do here? And, and so the, the plan became getting three cameras to film all at the same time and run a three camera production and basically everybody's shoulder camming and one cam is on the girl, one on the guy and one's on basically covering two shots and pickups and things like that. Right. And you just run the scenes like, cause there's 13 scenes really. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's really probably about 10 or 11 actual scenes in the, in the play. You haven't read it yet. Have you? No, I haven't. I, you I get on that. Set. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> um, but anyway, so basically you run those scenes, you run those a few times straight back to back, hopefully each time, you know, as performance wise, they get, you know, a nice natural moment to moment thing. And so, uh, um, basically I was given like 
it would be a long shoot too. Cause basically it was one day and like one evening. So we'd be shooting for like 16 hours. It would be like a crazy long day. Yeah. Super challenging. Like basically like doing a play and everybody's just on, 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 and then you're done. It's just like a sprint. Yeah. And I haven't decided if I'm going to, it would leave very little room or margin for error. Absolutely. No hiccups. Yeah. So basically, um, basically we'd be shooting roughly 75, 80 pages in one day. Be nutty. Right. Yeah. Um, it could be done, you know, because it's in one location and it's really much like filming a play in a lot of ways, the way it's designed. Um, but I've been, and I haven't made the call. I haven't called it off just yet, but I'm really considering calling it off. I mean, I know I could do it. I'm not actually afraid that I won't be able to pull it off. Cause I've shot, I think the most I shot in a day was like, um, like about 18 pages in a day I've shot, you know, I've shot a lot in a day. This, I think if we shot it like a play, we almost did the Dov Simmons model, which you just keep the camera running and you just, yeah. you don't really stop. Like people know their lines, you go in and you don't try and get it perfect. And it's not so much about plan shots. It's about capturing what's there and having the camera operators be basically be like watching a play. So Mm -hmm. you just follow that actor the whole time, like you're watching them just live, you know, and that's how it's done. And and that's kind of still how I want to film it in a lot of ways, but I'm hitting this point now where I'm going like, do I really want to rush this project that way? Do like, cause right now I feel like I have to do it that way if I want this location. And here's the thing, the location's perfect. It's like yeah. literally everything I could possibly dream of. So now the thing is if, if the place will be sold, I will not have another option to shoot here. So if I don't do it, I'm going to have to basically bank on that. I can find another location and a large part of my budget might go to the new location. Cause right now I'm getting this location for free, which is a big portion of what is even going to cost money in this film. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's such a short amount of time now to get all the pieces together and then to do it. And here's the thing, this is the thing. Most of the projects that I've done as a filmmaker up until this point have been very practically done. They've been done on a shoestring budget for the most part. And I've had to do them under like an extreme rush, not very much time. And I've made a bit of a name for myself in the industry as being someone who can get things done really quickly, really cheaply and, and pretty much well done. But I've never really been able to flourish as a filmmaker. I've never been able Mm. to like really plan out my shots and just be patient and kind of run through the process with a certain kind of like, right. We have some time, like let's, let's capture this shot because, you know, it's not just out of practicality. It's out of more aesthetic. Right. Yeah. And so the thing that I'm feeling like challenged with is like, I don't know if I want to make this film and make no room for aesthetic shots Mm -hmm. to make no room for having some breathing space. And I know that in film, you know, you, you want to keep going, you know, time is money and all of this, but, um, so I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to call it, call it off. Like, so we would film in two weeks. I'm pretty sure I'm about to, I'm going to make the decision tonight, probably if not tonight, tomorrow on, if I'm pulling the plug on us, shooting it and moving it later. And if we do move it later, 
Um, what I might end up doing is I was talking about this on the last podcast. I might actually put up as a play first. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting dilemma to be, it's an interesting place to be in right now because, uh, I really had this plan. I'm like, okay, I wrote this script. People seem to really like it. We're in a really good place. Let's go film it. And there's this momentum going and it's kind of like, is this what I want to do or what I feel I have to do? And someone mm-hmm. posed the question the other day. Well, they said, why are you filming in two weeks? And I said, well, because of the location. And they pointed out, they're like, so it sounds like you're making the film at this point only for one reason, because you want to get this location. And that's, you know, that's your entire decision. And yeah. it's like, you want to hinge your entire decision on this is what you have to do. And so now I'm kind of going, well, I don't really want to delay, but at the same time, like, if I'm making a feature film and I'm going to do this and I want it to be, you know, I don't want to just rush the job either. Yeah. I'm definitely leaning more towards, you know, the, if my biggest problem is location, maybe just pick another day, maybe shoot it at the end of summer. Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 and maybe like, don't rush it, you know, because I don't know. I'm still, I'm still making that decision, but this is an interesting problem. It's kind of like, I've been thinking about a lot. It's, it's where practicality and artistry meet, you know, it's it's a real challenge that I find as an indie filmmaker, you run into all the time. It's like, well, I have this available. I need to use it while I have it. Yeah. And, and then, but I have this story I want to tell and I have this vision I want to create. And the two sometimes really greatly conflict with each other. Yeah. And sometimes you have to choose to let one go over the other. Right. Right. And, and then that ends up sending one of them kind of into an unknown territory. Right. Right. Which is, and yeah, it's an interesting decision that you have to, that you have to make. Right. And I guess that's where, like, that's where I think, especially within film, like that's where that's what makes and breaks films. A lot of the time is, is in these, decisions, right? It's like, where do you let go? And what do you hang on to? Mm. You know, and it's just like in that toss, because it's like, you know, the location is great. Can you find it? Yeah, you can probably find another location. But I mean, this location, you had it in your mind, would it be perfect? Yeah, maybe absolutely would be completely perfect. Um, So you let it go and you lose the location. And and so now how you would film it, sort of the uh, that, that sort of backdrop that you had in mind is, is kind of gone. Right. Right. And you have to say, it's like, is that what makes this important? Or is there things that you would be compromising on that are more important that if you were to, to, to push everything and, and make it happen, you would lose out on, on elements of the storytelling or, you know, and it's, it's, like it, in some ways it seems like an easy thing. Like it, it, it almost would appear from an artistic sense. It's like, no, you've just got to do like what's right for the story. And, and it's like, well, it, then you get into that sort of argument and that down. It's like, well, what is right for the story more? Like what will it benefit more from the location or having more time to do this? Cause the thing is, is that either way you actually don't really know. I don't know you don't really know which would benefit it more in the long run. 
It reminds me, I, it was a Ted talk. I saw this woman who was like a, a modern day philosopher. And she said, when it comes down to these, those types of tough decisions, the question that you then ask yourself is, is, um, uh, who do I want to be? Hmm. And that helps you to make your decision as opposed to like, okay, what do I do? It's like, cause like you can drop like a pros and cons list, right. Of what would happen. Right. And you could have a very close list where it's just like you're splitting hairs and it still doesn't become that much clearer. Even when you're looking at the benefits and the, and, and the negative drawbacks and stuff from whatever the decision is. Um, when you're at that stage, ultimately the decision you make doesn't really matter. Right. Cause one way yeah. or the other, the, de- like it's the, the decision will be the decision and it will, it will be fine. Um, but in terms of making the decision easier, they say, you ask yourself, who do I want to be? And that helps you to make a decision that's more kind of in line with your integrity. Yeah. You know, our, our, our friend, Michael Penny Mm -hmm. actually had a, he had an interesting comment to me the other night when we were hanging out, he pointed out, he's like, um, he was pointing out some of the things about where I'm at in my life and with my artistry and how I've set things up and, you know, and, and just how I'm kind of like single and I'm pursuing my dream. And he's like, you know, he's like, you're acting like you have an expiry date on yourself. Yeah. (laughs) And I thought that was such an interesting comment because it was so true. I mean, I have been walking around like there's this expiry date. Like if I don't get things done right now, that my moment will pass and my life will be gone and it'll all be over. And so there's this kind of rush to get things done. You know, Mm -hmm. there's this, um, rush to make a movie, this rush to find a, you know, a a life partner, this rush to figure things out, this rush to do all this stuff. And it can, it can, I mean, there's something to be said. There's a value of having a sense of urgency to like, you know, create movement and stuff, but there's also, there's a, it it has a breaking point where, and that breaking point means that you start making bad decisions just out of a sense of getting somewhere. Well, and it's think, like, and then the somewhere becomes questionable once you start making, <laughs> it's like, what's that somewhere going to be when you're now making bad decisions? Right. Out of a sense of, I've just got to get it done. Right. Well, I think it comes down to like, am I making these decisions out of fear? And I think the, the reason why I don't want to call the shoot off is because I'm scared in certain ways that if I don't have this location, the film will never get made. Mm. Like that, that. I have this window. And if I, if I follow through, well, this window's here. And I mean, it's because of the nature of the film, the film, I mean, just, you know, it's one of those films where I want to keep the budget as low as absolutely possible. No name actors, at least at this point. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's other ways I could do it. I mean, maybe I cast name actors, maybe I get a bigger budget, maybe, you know, whatever. I I mean, there's other options. That's not really how I want to do it. So, um, you know, practicality and artistry has always practicality and passion, I should say, have always been in conflict in my experience in life. And there's a, you know, and I think that I would rather be someone who is more living 
out of passion and doing what they really truly want than someone who's doing things out of practicality, which makes me lean more towards calling this shoot off because I'm doing it for practical reasons and not for reasons of, you know, being passionate. Mm -hmm. And there's also, you know, the more I think about it in my gut, something about it doesn't feel right. And it, and it kind of almost seems a little serendipitous that the way events occurred and what caused me to, to basically be forced into this position in the first place kind of is like, this doesn't seem right. Like, like if something in, in my experience, when something is meant to be, it almost works out with like, you just fail upwards at it almost like mm-hmm. you almost can't not win at it because the universe kind of aligns almost to make it work, you know? Yeah. And I think when I force something, it's like the universe is, and it's just my belief system. And some people might think this is silly, but the universe almost works against you. It's like constantly giving you signs like this isn't right. Like this isn't the right feel. And I keep like, I know to some people that sounds actually probably ludicrous, but to me, I think of it like, nah, you know, like the timing that all this stuff and, you know, I, I'm looking at it now and I'm going, okay, well, I'm not going to not make the film. I mean, let's be honest. I'm not going to, I'm still going to fall through it at least at this point. And even if I don't make this film, it's going to lead me to the film I'm going to make. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's, but a, you're going to make this film. It, yeah. It's an interesting, it's just an interesting challenge I'm faced with where I'm kind of like confronting the practicality and the, and the passion. And like, at the end of the day, do I want to make a film and be able to say, I only had a day to shoot it and I got it done. Or do I want to make a film and say, this was the film I wanted to make. And this is the, I made it the way I wanted to make it. Yeah. You know, and I think they both have their, their pluses, but like the practical part of me, that the part of me, it's like, Oh, it's wow. You shot a feature in one day. That's impressive. It's like, who am I trying to impress? Am I trying to impress someone else or am I trying to impress myself? And when I think about it, the only reason why I would do that is to impress someone else. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, is like, and and also if you maybe want to look at it in a sense of, it's like at the end of it, do you want to make like, you know, you do something and maybe it doesn't, I mean, it could, it is possible that you do the practical thing or what seems, in some ways it doesn't seem very practical. Um, yeah, no, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but some I mean, like, like that's crazy. in some of these ideas of like practical, it's like, oh, well I have the location. It's free. We only have like one day to shoot. And so we'll just do it, you know, as fucking simply as we can possibly do it. We'll bang, like just run through it essentially. And it's like, okay, I guess that's practical in some regards, very impractical in others. But you know, then you come out with something and who knows what you get out of it. I mean, you never really know. It could, but to me, then you're almost like, well, it becomes an interesting experiment then at that point. Mm. Right. And, you know, if, and if it comes out and it's not, it's not very good, you know, then you say, it's like, well, you know, I did that, had that experience, learned my lesson or, and lessons. Um, here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. And you still find some value in the whole experience, but you there might've been things that were compromised on that you wish you hadn't compromised on, um, that now you have to take into your next project. Right. Because, and you know, it's, it's one thing like to encounter, to really shoot for something, 
you know, I say like shoot for the moon and, and land among the stars hmm. or whatever it is. It's shoot for the stars. You at least you'll land in the moon. Isn't that it? I can't remember. Exactly. It's something so. like that, but it's basically like, it's better to like shoot for like way out there and get, you know, still get somewhere like pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Um, than to like shoot really low and then come out with garbage. Right. Right. Uh, and, and I think that that's kind of this, this challenge here because it's like, well, you know, you could out of practicality do this thing and you could come out with a piece of garbage and you'll say, well, that's what I got for, for doing this. I knew that this was the risk that I was taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then that, that can be a hard pill to swallow at times because you, you there's a sense of being like, well, I should have known better. Yeah. You know, like, and I didn't really give it the, the chance it, it, I could have given it right. You never, you know, then there's that regret of never having done it the way you wanted to. But practicality again is, can be, because you can get so caught up. It's like, no, it's gotta be like this, right. You can get so caught up in that. It's like, no, it has to be like this and it has to go like that. And I need to have this shot and it needs to look like this and blah, 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 blah. And now it's just like, it's, you've got this monumental task ahead of you and you've left no room for anything spontaneous to happen, which is part of the creative process. It's part, part of where the magic happens. It's mm-hmm. where a lot of the magic happens is the spontaneous. So it is, it's a con, it's a push and pull between the two of them because they actually, you know, I don't think that they're always at odds with each other. I think oftentimes like when, when practicality and art can come together, you know, in, in a cohesive way, it makes each of them stronger. Yes. You know, you can, a a sense of practicality can actually open up doors that wouldn't have been there in your, if you're in your art, if you would start to get too precious about it. Right. I think that's what it is. That's the opposite of practicalities. You become too precious about it Hmm. and you try and get too practical. You try and get too precious. Like there's, you're going to hit some issues, right? You get too precious. And now it's like, you know, you're not, no criticism to Stanley Kubrick because he's one of the greatest of all time. But I mean, you know, you're doing 60 goddamn takes of something, yeah. you know, like it's insane. I mean, he earned that right to do that. Yeah. He didn't just start doing that. But you know, it's, if, if, especially if you're an independent filmmaker, getting too precious is going to be such an enemy to you. And sometimes you don't even know what you're getting. Like you you get hung up on shit that you, it's questionable sometimes why we even get hung up on certain things. Right. Like, um, you know, with, with our film on the highway as well. It's like, I remember editing that script, especially earlier on where it was so much more precious to me. Like it's still precious to me, but like in a very different way, Mm. But like, it was like, there'd be little scenes or lines or moments. And I'd be like, no, (laughs) we're not getting rid of it. You know? And it's, and you start to question, it's like, well, why do you care so much about it? And and you realize it's like, when you take a step, when I, it was only by day, by taking a step back from it and looking at the bigger picture of the whole thing and saying, well, what am I actually really trying to do in this story? What am I really trying to what's, what's the feeling? What are the ideas? What are the themes? And does that serve this? And oftentimes I went, 
oh no, it, and discovered that what I was doing was completely, um, uh, it was, it was just, I don't know. It was masturbation. You know, it was <laughs> yeah. me just being like, this is a funny little moment. Yeah. And it's just like, and it's just this little thing that kind of sticks out, you know? And, and you don't want not that it's not necessarily entertaining or that wasn't necessarily good, but ultimately didn't, didn't really serve the story in any way. Didn't really help any of the bigger picture of it. Right. It was just kind of there for its own sake. Hmm. Um, you know, but, and the thing is like, and there's still so many great moments that I got to keep and ones where I questioned it and said, does this serve the whole thing? And really, and really examined it and say, no, it does. There's something that happens in this moment that I really love, but it also really helps the whole thing. Mm. It serves the whole because it says something about the characters. It says something about, um, about the ideas I was trying to, to communicate in the movie. Right. Right. So they, it becomes something that's like, yeah, no, that stays right. It really becomes, you know, and that's a very practical thing that you're doing in there, but yeah, you get too precious about things and you get like, that's when you get tunnel vision. Yeah. Is when you get precious about shit, you get tunnel vision, you're not seeing the whole picture, you know, and, and now everything like it, and it becomes impossible. Hmm. You create an impossible task for yourself. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Also with rushing this whole project is, you know, we don't really get to workshop the scene. We don't get to really do the rehearsals I want to do. Yeah. Also, you know, mostly the feedback has been exceptional for the script, but some people brought up a few concerns that I knew would be in there. And I've been thinking about them more and more. And I'm like, you know, I'd love to change that. I don't necessarily know how to change that right now, but they were things that I suspected people would suggest like, you know, and I was like, is it enough of an issue to really like, you know, and as, um, not everybody had the same issue, but a few people, you know, there's certain things that come up one thing in particular, uh, what was interesting was some people thought only the guy had an arc and was like, only the guy was really changing and growing and it evolved. And, mm-hmm. uh, and another person was like, I don't feel like the guy grew at all. I feel like the girl was the only one that did. <laughs> I thought that was like, okay, well that's really interesting. Yeah. You know? But one of the people's perceptions, it's really interesting. I don't want to ruin the script for you, but one thing I, I also was looking at is like, I feel like the guy in the story isn't getting enough of his perspective out. And I, and I feel like I didn't really allow him to really make the stand that he needs to make really the way he needs to make it. The girl got to, but not so much him. And so, you know, there's things that I'm looking at now. And as time has passed since I wrote the script, which, you know, hasn't been that long, but I'm already going, yeah, there's a few things that I'd love to like just workshop and figure out how to work them out and figure them out. And, and they may take a little more time because I may need to like, you know, take something that was very spontaneously written and very like truthful in what it was written, but to really enhance the story and, and like up it and kind of make it have more of the impact ultimately than I want it to have. It might, um, there might be some things I want to like, you know, and I, and I feel like by us rushing into this right now, there's, not a lot of breathing room. I mean, there's no time to really do much alteration on the script. I mean, there's just, it's just caught up in production. Yeah. So, you know, it's, you want to give it a shot to be all it, all that it can be, 
you know? And it's, you know, the other thing too is like, um, if, you know, like if I knew, like, for example, I mean, there's, I kind of like, you know, I'm kind of like weighing different scenarios in my head. It's like, okay, if I knew that I was going to die, like at the end of the month and like, this is my, my only chance, you know, to make a feature, I'd absolutely follow through. I mean, I would, I would Mm -hmm. just be like, I'm doing it. I don't care. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Like, but, um, that's not the reality. That's not the reality. You know, the other thing too is like, um, you know, what, what, like I want to make my first feature film because this is going to be my first official feature, but like, I also want to, I don't want to rush it. I want to do it, you know? And so part of me too is in a weird way, I'm more excited about putting up the play than I am the movie. And so there's this part of me, it's like, maybe just put up the play first, you know, do it as the play, do it the way you envision it as the play. Cause I already have that vision. Yeah. I told you about that on the last podcast and maybe do that workshop it through the stage process. Then after you've built a buzz and had a run and done this, then maybe make the decision to like film it. Right. Yeah. But you have already kind of got people who You'll, saw the play and it's like, Hey, we're making this into a movie now, you know, which might be the yeah. better way to go. And that's, and that, so, and again, like there's two sides to that as well. It's like, there's, to me, that seems like that's a very, uh, that's a very practical, but even I would say pragmatic sort of like approach to it because in many ways it's like, well, then yeah, you get to workshop it, you get to build buzz. Yeah. Those are good things. But like you really, you and, and you know, whoever your co-star is going to be, you'll have time to get like really intimate with these characters. Mm-hmm. Right. And with these parts and playing these parts. Right. So that when it comes time to filming, it's not like you're having to figure all of this shit out. Yeah. Right. At the same time of also having, trying to figure out how you're going to film the damn thing. Right. Right. Like you'll, you'll have done it so many times. It's like, um, there's a movie that came out this year with, uh, Denzel Washington. Oh, what movie was it? James Earl Jones had done it. There's a video that we'd even shared a long time ago, not like a long, long time ago, but it was scenes of both Denzel Washington and James Earl Jones, different times playing the same part in this play or whatever. And I wish I could remember what it was now, but they turned it into a film and Denzel Washington fences. fences. Yeah. Yeah. And Denzel Washington directed it, um, for film and whatever, but he's like, he just took everybody that they just took everybody that they did like the state, like the stage version of totally. Cause everybody knew what they were doing. Yeah. Fences kind of inspired me a little bit with this because like right now, I mean, and, and I was, what I was going to do was make the movie and then put it up as a play after. But in some ways it makes more sense to put it up as a play first and then make the movie later. And, and I think the only reason why I've been rushing to make it as a movie is because like this location is literally like, perfect. And the script was written with that in mind. I mean, when you do a one location film and you know the exact location, it really, really helps. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've written one like that before. Yeah. Um, and so you write in accordance to the scenario, but I've been thinking about it and I've been like, you know, this isn't the first time where I've lost the location. And I'd say that a lot of the time the location ends up better ultimately if Mm -hmm. I am willing to like let go of the one that I thought was perfect initially. Yeah. And, and it may change the story. It may be a bit different. Like, you know, I shared this before in an earlier podcast about a movie I shot where we were supposed to shoot inside this cafe 
uh, day before. So we found out that we weren't going to be able to use the location anymore. So I had to go to my plan B and my plan B was the outside of another cafe, but it was much better because, um, it ended up being like the time where the sun set and it had this really long lens shot and this beautiful golden glow. And it was so, yeah. it was so great, you know? And so like, had I shot in the first cafe, I wouldn't have got this, this beautiful, you know, um, these beautiful shots. Yeah. So in, in a certain part of me is I actually, the more we talk about this, the more I'm, the more I'm pretty certain I'm going to just call off the film shoot and I think pursue the, the play and then in the, in, and then get that, put that up and then do the movie thereafter. Yeah. You know? And it's funny. I, I, it's, the more we talk about it, the more obvious it seems, but this has been my struggle recently. This is what I've been walking into with the podcast and I've been walking around for the last week or so just banging my head going like, what do I, what, what do I want to do here? Like, how do yeah. I want to go about this? And, um, you know, I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting challenge that we face as creatives, you know, is like, we try to take art and we try to take this thing inside of us and we try to make it real in the world. And the world is, you know, your mind and your heart is like infinite, but the world is limited in yeah. what's available, how much things cost, you know, who's available, what's, what's yeah. all this time, you know, um, time, space and matter come into play. Basically, yeah. You know, yeah, whereas exactly. in your mind, you can have anything you want, you know? So the, the, how do you take the creativity that's in your mind and actually get to express it the way you want it in the world? You know, um, when I made, uh, my initial show, another show that I did, uh, soldiers of the apocalypse in my mind, I had these visions of like what I wanted it to be, but I knew that being like a, a relatively new filmmaker and not really having raised money before and stuff like that, that I needed to, that I was going to have a limited amount of resources to do it. And so it was about trying to take this grand, amazing vision and fit it into the available resources I could get my hands on. And I think like, you know, maybe that's what we're talking about here is in this conversation is about the, 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 the part of it where artistry meets actual resources, you know, like where does our creativity, how do we, how do we like, you know, so we raise like a hundred grand. So do we hold out at a hundred grand or do we try to raise 200 or 300 or a million? You know, like what point is enough resources to start to execute your vision? Yeah. Because you know, I would love to have 120 million to do it, but like the chances of me getting that in the beginning are not likely. So, you know, maybe like, you know, making this film for, you know, a few thousand dollars is maybe I need to hold out and maybe it needs to cost me twice as much, three times as much, four times as much, but maybe that's, maybe it needs more resources ultimately to be made right. Yeah. You know, and maybe I need to, um, factor that in because I can make it for less resources but will that be the kind of film I want to make? Maybe what I need to do is actually look at like, well, to actually get what I want done, I need more resources. And so I think like, this is a real struggle for filmmakers. We all, we all face There's like, when is enough resources? And like, I set the film up. I mean, I wrote it particularly so it didn't require much. Yeah. But now it's like, okay, well, it's not like it requires that much more to get what I want. Right. So am I willing to take the risk and go and do that? You know, and that's the thing I think that 
because I think when people like, you know, those people who talk about filmmakers who do independence, especially when they're like, Oh, you know, I would have done this. I would have done that. It's like, yeah, but you would have done this and that everybody would have done that, this and that if they had the resources that you're thinking about, like they didn't have the resources. So many films, this is the thing that people like critics, I hate it when critics talk about how like, Oh, it should have done this. They should have done that. It's like, yeah, but you got to factor in the fact that they had only a limited amount of resources and time. They only had so much. Yeah. And so what they pulled off with what they had was a big, important part of it. Because I think like you can't compare, um, an indie film to like avatar or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. different resources and different expectations. Yeah. Right. And usually different types of stories that are being told as sure. well. Yeah. So, you know, I think, um, you know, what I'm, what I'm kind of walking down the path now of is, you know, not thinking too small, but also not being unrealistic about what's possible too, you know, and, and, and really looking at like, cause I think, you know, most filmmakers in my experience, the, the hardest thing is I mean, I know how to raise money. I can raise money, but I also want to be responsible with people's money. I don't want people to, you know, walk in being like, okay, well I'm investing this and I'm going to make this amount back. It's like, you got to walk in, especially with a film like this. And now like, look, we, none of us might see any of our money back, but we're making the film because we believe in the film, because Mm -hmm. we believe that this film should be made and that it's kind of like supporting the ballet more than it is in, you know, putting an investment to make money back. Whereas some films you make because you're like, this B movie is going to make a lot of money. It's a piece of shit, but it's going to make a lot of money back because zombies and vampires are in right now. And it'd be great if they fought each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the story. But like, you, you know what I mean? Somebody's writing it right <laughs> Somebody's now. Somebody's writing it right now. There's probably already like a dozen sitting on somebody's desk. Totally. There's got to be, you know? And so the thing is, is like, you know, if you want to make a, a, vamb- a, a vampire zombie movie that is, has like really no depth and is just about entertainment... And maybe you can assist, you know, put it together where you can pretty much assure you'll make money, you know, put some B, B actors in it and whatever, and put a decent budget behind it and make the effects look cool. And you can probably pretty much guarantee this is a good investment. It's there to make money. But a film like the one that I'm trying to make right now and the one, you know, on the highway, these films aren't necessarily about making money as much as they are about telling a really good story and making a really good film. And so, you know, it's, if say Leonardo DiCaprio wanted to be in it, then you know, it would probably make a certain amount of money. If you do it with a couple unknowns or some unknown people and they just want to tell a really good story, you you don't get to justify millions of dollars. You don't even get to justify hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases. You got to figure out how do I tell my story for as little as possible? Because that's, that's responsible. You know? Well, I mean, it's like, especially within film, like every film is a gamble. Right. Like it is like gambling. Yeah. You know, and, and there's, you know, the big studios are the, are the high stakes people. Right. Right. And they don't, they have a certain way that they do things that they execute things. Yeah. Right. And that's part of what goes into it. It's just like, all right, who can we get into it? Mm-hmm. What did their last movie draw in? Right. And are they still drawing an audience? Right. Okay. So how, how big of an audience can we maybe anticipate they'll bring in? So what are they now worth? Right. In perspective of what we're doing and like, you know, there's, 
that whole balancing act that they're doing is what, you know, well on, on that industry side of it too, you know, practicality and, and art and stuff like that. Right. Like it's, um, you know, and, and I, I don't think that, you know, lots of people like to think that, you know, studio heads and, you know, like it's, they're a bunch of like faceless, you know, soulless kinds of creatures that, you know, only come out at night. Um, I mean, certainly, I mean, I'm sure not everybody's been glorious. There's a reason why certain stereotypes have been put in place sometimes, but I mean, it's like so often, I think that like a lot of these people really are trying to make great films, you know, and they're just, they just play in a certain playground. Right. Right. And it's a high stakes playground, right? You got to pony up, but if you're going to pony up, you've got to make sure like you've put some things in place, right? Well, it's, it's the difference between like you, you walk up to the roulette table and, or whatever the poker table and you, you know, you put down, you know, the $10 a hand, right. Or you put down a hundred dollars a hand, or you put down a thousand dollars a hand, or you put down $10,000 a hand or whatever, you know? And so the thing is, is that that's like what movie making is. And so you, you, you go to make a movie like this and you go, okay, well, we're playing on the low stakes table. So we got to be mindful of like, you know, cause like, you know, when you think about high st- gambling, such a great analogy, cause if people were to put their own money down for something, they wouldn't like, you know, the, all, all the idealism is like, why don't people tell better stories and just do this? It's like, if you understand kind of the business of film and you looked at the numbers you know, if, if someone walked in and said, look, we can gamble and I can pretty much guarantee that you'll like seven out of 10 times you'll win. Yeah. You'd probably be like, okay. And the other person says, look, I don't even know if you'll win. There's like a one in a hundred chance, maybe a one in a, a yeah. thousand that you'll win. But if you win, you'll win so fucking big. It'll be great. Yeah. And so the thing is, is what would you rather do? Would you rather invest in the seven out of 10 or the guy who's in saying you have a one in a thousand yeah. chance of winning? Well, I mean, if it, it was one in a thousand, you maybe put a buck down, right? Yeah. You put a, you put $10, a hundred dollars down, but if it's one in seven, you might be willing to put down a lot more. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Right? Oh yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking of like roulette, right? You know, it's like, if you're, you know, a big super and you've got like $200 million, you're making a move for $200 million. Like that's, that's a lot of money Yeah, to be making a movie. That's a lot of people who've put their, their money into it. You're not going to put it on 17. No, just out of the hope, it's just out of the hope that you'll land on 17. No, you're probably saying like, I'm betting on red or I'm betting on black. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like that's how you're doing it. You're betting on red or black. Right. Right. And so that kind of is a reflection of like how that whole system operates. But when you go, it's a little bit lower, you know, stakes, you're looking for a smaller chunk of, you know, pie, you're usually putting in a smaller, a smaller bet. Yeah. On the ones that are just like, yeah, this could end up paying off really big if it hits, but if it doesn't, at least we're not out $200 million right. on this. And the other thing too, is like from the studio point of view, from the big high stake you know, investment roulette model, you're looking at, you're looking at the odds, you're looking at the numbers, you're looking at the percentages, all that stuff really matters. When you're going independent, I think you can factor as much of that as you want in, but you, you, you're looking more at like, I, I don't know, like I have faith in that this something in this area is going to win. 
And I don't necessarily have all the information, but I'm going to, this is a story that, or this is, it seems right to me. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. And I think like, you know, it's interesting when Kevin Smith talks about clerks because, you know, um, he talks about a screening he had, no one was there. And there was just like an old dude in the back and he was like, well, I guess this is the end of my film career. And yeah. that guy was actually, you know, ended up oh, was being, it Harvey Weinstein. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that was actually the one who actually ended up taking his film to the next level. And then his film ended up becoming yeah. this ma- major success. But for him, when he made Clerks, that was simply the movie he wanted to make. He had no idea Clerks was going to be what it was going to be. Yeah. He didn't know that. I mean, he hoped it would be. But the thing is, is that, um, and he did the best he could kind of making it one location, doing all the right things to give himself a chance, but he didn't know. And then that's the thing that I think we got to do, especially as filmmakers is, you know, you got to kind of like, I feel like I really wrote a script from my heart. I don't know if it will hit. I don't know if it'll work. It's been great to hear that the readers are really getting an impact out of it. I don't know if it will have success beyond that. But like, for me, I kind of got to look at it and I got to be like, okay, well, you know, it's an important story to me. I keep trying to go back to the Rob Reiner thing. You know, when Rob oh, Reiner yeah, was yeah. like, make a bunch of films that you really wanted to make. Cause it, I don't know what's going to hit, but at least at the end of the day, you'll know you made a bunch of films you wanted to make. And yeah. that's kind of what I kind of keep going back to. And I'm looking at it and going, okay, well, you know, um, don't like, and, and I think there's a certain kind of thing too, is like, I feel like we can feel obligated by industry to force our hand a lot. You know, like right now, my industry challenges film in this location, you have this one little window. And if you don't do this window, you can't do it. And so it's like, well, if I always make industry or practicality, the highest value, then my art and my passion is always going to be subjugate to it. Right. Right. And I think that right now it's actually important that practicality becomes subject to my artistry, you know, because I don't think that films that are independent really go anywhere when they make practicality, the number one. I think usually films that make passion the number one are probably more likely to succeed than the ones that make practicality. And in many ways there's, there's still, even if like the film doesn't like, isn't like some brilliant earth shattering thing, there is still a level of appreciation that exists Hmm. in it. You know, like I know it's like if, if I see something that's like, yeah, you know, it wasn't like it, they didn't have all the resources. You could tell there were some corners that had to be cut in, in little ways, but you could tell that the film had heart in it, you know, like that the people who made it really cared and they really tried to make it the best that it could be. And I go, it's like, I will take a movie like that. Cause it still usually hits me in some way on like an emotional level I'm just like, there's something that I'm connected to in it than to watch, you know, $300 million explosions going off, you know, every two seconds. And I couldn't care less about what's going on. Right. Like I would, I would rather take, take the little indie that, you know, had to like cut scale back some of its locations because, (laughs) because they, they didn't have the budget for it. Then Yeah than something that had everything like that had no limit on basically what they could do. 
as far as resources. And they still turned out like a big steaming turd (laughs) that was like just void of any substance and, or meaning. Well, it makes you appreciate how far your, how far a dollar can go when you learn how to do something independently. Mm -hmm. And I think that like anybody who's making a film independently, you're already factoring in practicality to some degree. I mean, you, you just, you just know that you're, unless you're delusional, you know that there's going to be some limits to what you're going to be able to do and and how much money you're going to have and how much availability you're going to have. So you know that. So I think practicality is already in there in a large degree. Like the script was already written, focused 80% in one location. It's already got the practicality written into it. I think now it's like, okay, like really we have three locations to find to make this film properly. I mean, if you look at Reservoir Dogs and you're saying you're going to make that independently and you didn't have, you know, um, any money behind it, they had 1.2 or 1.3 behind that film. But let's say that they were making it for, you know, 30 grand or whatever. Well, if you're making it for 30 grand, you go, okay, those are my resources. And so within that, I'm going to figure it out. But what did you have to do? You had to shoot in the warehouse, 80% of the film. Then you had a couple street street shots, essentially, and a shot like what inside, I think outside of a bank. I don't even know if they were inside the bank at one point. No, I don't oh, think. Oh, well, okay. The restaurant, restaurant and the office and the office. And then they did one shot like on a oh, parking and, and the apartment. Oh yeah. And there's apartment, but those are, parquet. those, those are, would be so easy to achieve. And yeah, the other thing too, you shoot in somebody's apartment. I, I don't know if this was probably somebody's actual apartment. I don't even know if the script originally had as many of those locations in the beginning, but they had more money. So I actually think they might've been like, Oh, well we have a little bit more. Let's bring it out of the world a little bit. You know what I mean? And so uh, I don't know. I'm not really sure that's speculation, but I'm pretty sure that's probably what happened. And so like, I think the thing is, is that, you know, Tarantino wrote Reservoir Dogs with practicality in it, but just because there was practicality written in it, you know, after that, then it's like, okay, you know, we already, it's practical to get this movie made. Now let's figure out like, how do we want to do it? You know what I mean? And I think like, that's, that's kind of like the interesting challenge of the, you know, the, the filmmaker or the producer is like, okay, well, cause I, cause there's a way to film movies, which is like, you know, do your, do your close up, your, your medium shot, your wide shot and your full shot, you know, and, yeah. and boom, you got your movie and do that for every scene. And then you have your movie shot and it's the most boring way to film, but you get all the coverage you need. Yeah. And so if you're just going for efficiency, just do those shots, you know, you're good. But if you're not just going for efficiency and practicality, then you might be like, okay, well let's just skip some of those shots and let's do this one big long moving shot. And then, you know, someone might perk up and say, oh, well, what if we mess up the shot? And then the whole scene's screwed. It's like, well, that's kind of the risk you're taking. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause you're like, I'd rather one really nice, beautiful shot. That's the way I want. than all the coverage shots that are boring, like television talking head shots. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, cause like, you know, I'm watching movies more and more, a lot more independent stuff. And like, if I shoot this thing in one day, what's going to probably happen is we're going to miss the the cool shot. Like maybe at the beginning of the scene, it starts behind them and we don't even get to see their faces for the first like minute until the camera kind of comes around them. And then we see, and that's just a way to shoot that might be more interesting. But if you're in such a rush, you're not even, you might not even do something like that because you're just making sure you got all your coverage and you can move on. Yeah. You know? 
And so like, it's just, you know, it's kind of like, it's an interesting thing. You know, it's just an interesting thing. Where does like practicality meet with artistry? Where does this, cause we always talk about the industry and the commercialism side, but we don't always talk about necessarily like the actual, like, how do we do this in the real world? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause like even the painter, you need your paint brushes and you need your, you need your place to paint. You need your, you know, whatever. If you're a musician, you need your instruments. You need your, you need, you might need your amplifiers. You need something right to get the thing done. And like, I'm sure everybody would be like, Oh, I want the Fender Strat or I want this big amp. I want these things, but we can't always get our hands on those. But what's really important is you play your great music. Mm-hmm. And then you figure out, okay, how do I get what I need to pull this off? You know? Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's so funny. I hear lots of like little stories of, um, you know, a lot of these like great sort of like rock players of like the past some of that. And as far as the music goes and, you know, everybody knows like so many of the great rock and roll legends and stuff is like, you know, big stacks of, of amps on stage, mm. right? Just like massive stacks and, and, and there was like a certain time, there was a brief period of time where there was a degree to which that was necessary because you were in like an arena that didn't have anything set up. You had to move that air. You had to be generating all that sound so that it would oh, right. get okay. to the back. But very quickly, like clubs and, you know, music venues and arenas, they started getting their own like really well done audio systems in it. So what basically ended up happening is like there would be a lot of, um, bands, they would, they would keep these big looking stacks of amps on stage with them, but they were empty. There was nothing in them. It was all for show. Really? And in the back or something was like a couple of small little amps that someone might have in their house. And they've just had a microphone set up to them and they played because it was actually, you could get better and easier to use sounds and tones out of a smaller amp than you could out of trying to get good sound out of these big ones just because hmm. of the, the way that those work. So it became a practicality thing in that regard to just use something really small and simple, but they kept the, the things for show. Right. right. So everyone thinks that there's all this sound coming out of these things and there was nothing coming out of them wow. at all. Yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So like, you know, it, that's where like, you know, technology is evolving that way too, where, you know, like you don't necessarily need all this fancy lighting to make a really great film. Yeah. So I, I met with a creative producer today and they, um, basically they want me to write uh, a small project to be submitted to like Sundance and some of these big festivals and whatnot. Mm. So it was an interesting little meeting and, and basically a meeting consisted of them just showing me, um, movies, uh, usually short films that had won at other festivals and kind of what they were thinking and what they want me to kind of help them pull off. And there was one film that they showed me, which won in Sundance. And all it really was, was a couple, it was called an eye for an eye. And, um, it was a couple driving along in a car and she's really upset with him. And he's trying to like, you know, he's trying to like connect with her and whatever. They end up stopping at the gas station. Um, he goes in the gas station, she's filling up the gas and he gets her some flowers and some, some chocolates and some things like that. And he puts the, he gets in the car and he's waiting for her to get back in. And she just throws the 
she's up, obviously upset at him. She throws the 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 flowers aside and he put a little picture he got some tapes so he could put a little picture of their dog up and stuff and she just tore it down and they're driving <laughs> along and he's just like trying to figure out how to connect to her and he gives her like he takes like a little chocolate and he puts it on the dash and then she grabs it and eats it and then it, she kind of like warms up and she's like she's like she's like this is silly like you know like you can just win me over with chocolate kind of thing and anyway when he was in the gas station he also picked up this little spider to scare her and so so eventually what he does is he he tricks her after he's won her over and puts the spider like and she freaks out and nearly crashes the car because she thinks it's a real spider right and he 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 swerves the steering wheel so don't hit somebody and she stops the car and she gets out and he's laughing at her and, and you can see obviously why she was upset with him before because he's doing this. Yeah. And so all of this was all very steady cam, very natural, nothing big was happening, but it was all really captivating and interesting. And I mean, I guess I'm ruining the movie, but whatever, most yeah. people never see it. Um, but then he takes the spider and he like throws it at her and she backs up and she backs up and a car hits her because she got scared again. Yeah. And then it's like emergency situation. The, the, the paramedics show up and all of this and he's like, Oh my God, is she going to be all right? And all this. And then, um, <laughs> the spider was like in her sleeve or whatever. And so when the paramedic goes to like, you know, put like a needle into her, he gets scared and he like pulls the needle back and it stabs, it stabs the guy in like, the eye. <laughs> And it sounds so silly, but yeah. it was like really, really well done. And this movie won at, at Sundance. But I think that the point was that it was a very simple movie. And the, and the thing was, is that it really gave you a lot of visceral responses because you didn't necessarily expect what was going to happen. But yeah. like, when you think about the concept and when I tell you it, it sounds so silly and corny, but when you see it executed, it's like really good. But someone clearly like had a kind of a vision for it, Mm -hmm. you know, to make it into something. And, um, it sounds very darkly comical, like, but is it not a comedy? I don't know if it was a comedy. (laughs) I mean, it was just an, it was an interesting, it was an interesting one to look at because, what I looked at, what I, what I gathered from it was how they just did the story in a way that was very, very simple. Like there was not like no fancy lighting, no real fancy camera moves all that much, just kind of capturing life, really good acting, um, really good moment to moment work and all of this. And then when she got hit by the car, it was super visceral. It was super real. It was like, I literally jumped back. I was like, Oh, right. And, and the part where he gets stabbed in the eye with it was like kind of a little bit kind of corny, but I guess the message of the whole movie was just basically like, you know, karma, like, you know, what comes around or goes around, comes around kind of idea. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, the creative producer is pointing out, it's like, yeah, it didn't, like the thing I don't really like about it, I in some ways don't even know how it won because it didn't really have like a big message, but they were trying to at least have a message. But I think like the, the point that I'm trying to make is that the movie didn't have like all this special stuff. Cause we watched a couple of movies after that and they took another movie. And so this movie was, I just want to kind of explain the juxtaposition. So the next movie they showed me was a movie that, um, was, a woman's there in like this, um, 
I don't know, this big, uh, almost, it's a nice big open building, you know, like with stairs and hallways and such. And it's kind of open-ended anyway. And, and this officer like brings her, um, I guess her husband or someone who's, he's like in, he's obviously just being incarcerated or something like that. Right. And so they're saying goodbye to each other and the officer's like no hugging and all this. And they're standing there and they start talking about how the people are still coming or something like that. And you're like, okay, you're trying to keep up. And all of a sudden it turns in this big fucking action movie. And it's just like, people are shooting at each other. And it's like, it's like the matrix and she's spinning around and she's shooting everybody. And it's yeah. like, all of a sudden she's the superhero. And as cool as all the action sequence was like the creative producer was pointing out to me, he was like, you see this? Like, it looks really great, but there's like literally no substance in this movie. And it's like, yeah. this is what I kind of want to avoid, you know, is like making something that's like, you know, and they, and the thing is, is it was an interesting discussion we had. We ultimately came up with an idea, which I think will be really cool, um, which I won't share yet, but it was a really interesting experience because what I found from this creative producer was just how much substance actually did so much more than all the commercial stuff. Cause if you watch both of these movies, especially these particular two, and you watch the action sequences and how everything was shot, it was all done. Everything was done quote unquote, right with the action movie. Yeah. And it was one of those things where you're like, yeah, that's really entertaining, but you'd probably walk away from it and go, and that was really cool, but le- made no difference in my life personally, other than entertaining me. Whereas the other movie where the woman got hit by the car, you got really enrolled in this relationship between mm. the guy and the girl and what was going on. And you got kind of emotionally invested in it, but like it didn't take any fight choreography. It didn't really have any lighting. It wasn't really, you know, and so you can see why that film would win in Sundance versus this action movie. Yeah. Because it was the substance that was in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so it was a really, it was just a really interesting thing because I'm starting to see that like, you know, cause people will, will talk about producers like being like, Oh, producers only care about the dollar. They still care about substance. They, you know, they want something that's going to work, but like, like that has enough commercial appeal, but people are still looking for substance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that I, I feel like sometimes you know, we're, we're, we, we get a movie like Batman versus Superman and we think, Oh yeah, that's how you make that's, you know, and that's not how you make a movie. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's like money to blow because you can, cause it's Batman and Superman and people are going to see it cause they love Batman and Superman yeah. and they want to see Batman and Superman go head to head. But if it was, you know, ninja guy versus, you know, Octa, whatever, and you don't know who they are, you're, you're going to be like, this looks stupid but it's because yeah. it's Batman and Superman, you'll watch it. And that, and that's the thing, you know, when you're independent, you don't necessarily get to have a pre-sold franchise. Yeah. So you need to have like more substance. You need to have something more. Yeah. You're, you're relying on to a large degree word of mouth, whether that's through critics or through audiences to say, this was really great, you right. know, and hope somebody takes a chance and you're like, Oh, okay. Cause I know I'm that, I'm that way too with like, sometimes watching independent stuff. Cause you look at them like, Oh, and sometimes there's a decent cast in it that attracts me enough. But a lot of times you're like, I don't know what this is. So I don't know who these people are who are in it. But, um, you know, I may have heard something about it. You know, I'm like, Oh, I heard that this is really good. And suddenly it's like become something that I decide to watch. Right. Mm-hmm. So well, and it's I, a different you know, playground. My point was that 
I think that resources are not quite, they're important, but like when you have substance, you don't need as much resources to pull the thing together. Yeah. Cause like the one action movie, like it required a lot of resources. You could kind of tell, like, if you know anything about filmmaking, you're like, well, this must've taken a lot of work. But the other one, I mean, all you really needed, it had really no lighting. It just had a camera, two actors and a few little props. And then one visual effect shot, which was the girl getting hit by the the car, by the car, maybe two, because maybe the eye thing, I don't know, but really very simple, easy stuff to do stuff. You could do your yourself just learning on the computer. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's tutorials, video co-pilot pilot. They'll teach you exactly how to do it. So, you know, very, very simple, but the story, even though the story sounded kind of corny, the way it was done and the way it was like more relationship focused, as opposed to like, we're going to wow you with, with, you know, um, fight sequences and all that. Yeah. It, it landed a lot more. And, you know, so like, I think as I, as I go forward with this film, like as much as I want to kind of take some extra time to workshop it a little bit is to rely on the fact that it's the substance that needs to be workshopped, not necessarily the resources that I need more of to get it done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because like once, like the thing is like the resource can always kind of be refigured, but the other part can't really once it's been done. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, how's the beer, man? It's great. (laughs) It's really great. I'm ready to just like have a nap in a hammock. (laughs) Uh, I don't think we've had this one before. It's possible we did, but I'm, pretty certain we haven't. It's very good. It's very, um, very clean. It's a light beer. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's kind of citrusy, a little bit citrusy, but, um, I want to say it's like a blonde or a lager of some kind. Okay. Yeah. Are you liking it? I am. Nice. I am indeed. It is going down very easily, very smoothly. What are we drinking? So yellow dog brewing, it's called retriever. Gold nail. It's a gold nail. Nice. Yeah. So it's uh, only 4.8% alcohol. Um, yeah, they're, they're in Port Moody, um, yellow dog brewing company. And yeah, this one's called retriever. So Love I'm pretty stuff. sure we haven't had this one. We've had no, a bunch of their so. beers before. No, I don't think we've had it on the show. I believe I've have had this though before sitting mm-hmm. in a bar somewhere or something. I think I've had this. Yeah, yellow, they're, they're easily one of my favorites. Yeah. Yellow dog does a lot of good stuff. And, um, they always name their beers after some type of dog, like wag the tail or something like yeah. that. You know, they always, they have some type of dog reference for their names, which yeah. is kind of fun. So yeah. So, uh, yellow oh, dog. It's just so fun. <laughs> just so fun. Just put dog stuff about all of it. Yeah. Um, so, well, okay. So I kind of talked about what's been going on for me as far as this, last week and a half or week or whatever with the film. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see how this all evolves. Um, you know, I know you've been kind of doing your music pursuits. Has anything kind of come up there? Yeah. You know what? Very sort of slowly and reluctantly. Um, you know, because, um, yeah, I've, I've decided like I had this one sort of melody of a song and some stuff that I'd in an arrangement that I put together. I'm like, I really like this like, I really like this. I'm going to put some words to it. I'm going to try really writing a song. And, and, uh, you know, you and I were, we're part of a sort of a, an 
artist support group, I guess, for lack of a better term, yeah. which is really great. If you're on the other end of this, if you know, like other artists, people in your community, like just like getting some people together to sit down and talk about what you're working on, um, you know, to really help keep each other inspired, to help work out your issues with each other, to help, um, set creative goals, you know, with each other to help, because that's really helped me to do this because music has been a thing that I've just had so much resistance towards creating with Mm. sort of like, I love playing music and I'll sing music for people and whatever, just as long as it's on my own. Right. Like it's, that's been a part of the process. That's just been so intimidating for me, um, to even, to even go towards. So, um, you know, I've had these goals to, to do these, you know, to, to slowly work on this. So I had the music and then like a few weeks back, I, I wrote down words for it. And I learned the process of just getting, writing words, just writing, just kind of vomiting out lyrics as it were. And so now I was taking these, these words and it was coming right up to, to being like, Oh God, this was like my goal. So I've got to make sure I get this done. So it was good to kind of motivate me to sit down and do it. And just been really enjoying that process Mm. because I feel like I've learned so much about the creative process just, you know, through, through what we do more so as our vocations, but also from what we've learned on this podcast and talking to other artists, it's just finding like removing myself more and more from, from the equation in a way, like removing myself in in terms of trying to control things too much in the process. So it was really interesting as I was taking these words that I'd kind of spilled out that I was really happy about. And I was like, okay, so now I've got all of these words. I've got all these lyrics, all these lines. And I sat down, I started playing the music again and going through the words of them. And, you know, it became very much like working a first draft Hmm. of a script. I'm looking at these words and I'm just like, no, I'm cutting these words out and cutting these words out and stuff that was like, it served its purpose. Like I saw them there and I knew that they came from a genuine place, you know, from an honest place. But it was kind of interesting because I went, you know, I don't, I had, to me, it was like, you know, I don't know if I wrote these words at the time because these were words that were intended to be in the song yeah, or if they were maybe just to help, to help fuel everything else to help fuel other words in the song, because I was just scratching stuff out. I'm like, no, that doesn't work. But I was finding places in other areas and stuff that I'm like, yeah, I'm just keeping this as it is and twisting stuff around. So it's like, I've got this, like this stuff, it's like marked up this stuff circled. This is a verse. This is a chorus. This is going here and this is going there and stuff like that. So it's been really, um, it's been really cool just to kind of, it's been a new, creative process, but yet familiar. Hmm. I'm like, I'm like, there's something I'm I'm like, I know I've kind of done this before, but I've never done this before. Hmm. And there's enough similar about the process that I know enough about it that I'm like, okay, I know I can trust this or I know that I can do this and I can't really go 
too wrong right by going in this direction with it right and or to and when i'm kind of getting derailed a little bit when i'm getting too ego-centered in what i'm trying to do so it was um it's been really great like it's uh I've been enjoying it a hell of a lot in terms of, I don't know of what that spurs on necessarily for conversation, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been really fantastic to see how the creative process is very similar, no matter where you apply yourself with it. Hmm. There's some things that are just kind of fundamentally under the surface that just seem to be seem to be like, just, I don't know, they, they link anything that you do. Yeah. You know, cause I'm like, I'm writing the song. I'm like, this is kind of like writing a screenplay. This is also kind of like, you know, like, like just concepting things. There is, there is a lot that I'm like, I've, I've done this before. I know, I know I've done this before. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been, it's challenged me. It still has me feeling really vulnerable because I'm like, Oh God, well, there's me writing the song. There's me actually like writing the song and the arrangement and having it there. And then the next step is going to be me like, well, you know, you're going to play it, right? Like you got to play it for somebody, right? You got to put it out there for somebody. Um, because I am planning on recording it, you know, like our, our friend who came on the show, Shane Martin, um, he's, he's got some recording stuff and, and a, another of his friends who's a, who's a great musician and they're like willing to help me out with it. And they're like, just come in like with your arrangement and your music and we'll, we'll record and we'll help you out. We'll add stuff to it. We'll put it together. Right. And I'm like, holy shit. So I'm going to have to like, <laughs> <laughs> like to these people. So it's, it's, it's really, um, it's, it it's really uncomfortable for me in a lot of ways, but it's really exciting for me as well. I bet. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. That's what's going on for me. It's exciting. I I think you and I are both in a similar stage in that way. You, you figure out how to actualize your music into, um, you know, and, and using what available resources you have to do that and figuring out kind of your, your artistry as you go through that. For me, it's with the film, you know, I'm, figure out, okay, well, how do I, you know, how do I do this? How do I execute this thing? And, um, yeah, you know, I, I think, I think I'm probably ready to wrap this conversation up. Yeah. I think uh, what I'm taking away from this is, well, what I would leave people with is, is that, you know, is that I think as artists, we are always kind of battling a little with a little bit with our resources, you know, Mm -hmm. what's available to us. What do we have at our disposal? Um, how much of it or how little of it, you know? Yeah. Um, is how much do you need? How much don't you need? Yeah. Right. And I think, um, you know, that not, not the thing that I'm going to take away from is not letting necessarily my artistry, um, feel at the whim of that, Mm -hmm. but to have that, um, responsive to what my artistry needs. So like I'm thinking about this film and I'm going, well, um, I do need a, I need, I do need a location like this, but also 
for me to do it the way I want, I really would like to have a few days to film, not just one. Um, and also I'd like to have a little bit more time to do rehearsals and there's certain, and, and what I, what I need as a resource is not necessarily money. What I need more is time. And, um, you know, and the thing is about time is, you know, I can buy myself more time. I can get more time. You know, I can, uh, I can do that if I want. And I think, you know, when it comes down to film, I always used to think of as resources as money or say location, but now I'm realizing like, no, like time is also a resource. And right now I can be abundant in time. I can, I can give myself more time to get this movie the way I want it. And I think the thing is, is for me, what I'm realizing through this process, I wrote the script so quickly and I was like, okay, I'm ready to jump into production. And there's this part of me, it's like, okay, go, 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 go. And I think like, it's kind of like, go, 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 breathe. Okay. Go breathe, go breathe, you know? And I think like sometimes it's important to just give yourself the time to breathe with artistry. And I think the practicality part of it and the resource part of it gets me in the go, go, go mode without any breath. Mm -hmm. And I think so. And you stop enjoying the process. Yeah. And sometimes I think even as an artist, maybe it's just breathe, breathe, breathe. Don't even go anywhere. Just be, you know, and, and you brought up a point and I've seen that Ted talk video about who do you want to be? And, you know, I want to be someone who, who doesn't, doesn't always allow or, or, or has my practicality bow more to my artistry than my artistry bow to my practicality. I'd rather hold artistry and, and that higher than I do the industry. Yeah. For me, that's who I'd rather be. I, I I'd rather be known as a filmmaker who, um, does things the way that I feel are true and right for me as an artist, as opposed to be really effective. I've done the effective thing. I've done the quick pace shooting the get it on a low budget, do all this stuff. I've done that part of it. And to me, I think that that's a great thing. It was a really great thing for me to do, but it's not necessarily why I make art. I think that for me, I'm looking at it going like, take the time, enjoy the process. The other thing I was thinking about today, I was like, if we do it on one day on set, I only get one day on set. I want to have a few days on set anyway. I want to like be on set. I like being on set. You know, like you spend all this time writing a script, preparing a movie, getting it all ready and, and, and setting it all up just to get it done, just to get one day on set and get it all done. Like the, the part of the best part, and I'm sure anybody who's been on set knows this, some of the, like, especially when you're creative, like maybe not when you're crew, but when you're creative, one of the best things is being on set. I mean, I think we live for that. Yeah. You know, just like as a musician, it's like when you're actually finally playing the song for the audience or you're up on stage doing the concert, that's probably like one of the most rewarding parts mm-hmm. I would imagine. I don't know. But I think like when I think about filmmaking and, and being like a director or being an actor or even being a writer, seeing your stuff actually come into life on stage, it's going to be a stressful time, but it's such an amazing time and we get so little of it. And so for me, it's a little bit like, well, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily want to rush through that part of the process. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's part of the reward. That's part of the nectar of the whole thing, you know? Yeah. So I think what I'm going to do going forward is I'm just going to have a heart to heart with myself and really check in with who I want to be and really kind of make some decisions moving forward more from my values as opposed to my pressures. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think what I'm going to do going forward. Yeah. 
Very cool. Yeah, this was a really, really cool conversation. I mean, interesting exploring like this actual decision that you're, you know, wrestling with and grappling with because think as artists, we're constantly faced with these things. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to go back into this whole sort of thing. Like for me, it's like, it's that takeaway of, you know, for making these decisions, you know, it, I really love that effective tool. I'll try and find a link to post, um, find that video for people to watch. Cause it's great. But that question of who, who do I want to be? Hmm. That question really helps you make decisions. I know whenever I'm conscious enough to, to do that, it usually is pretty clear. Right. And for you, it's helping you like, and the thing is like, we're not saying it's going to necessarily lead you one way or the other here. Right. Because there might be a a time when you ask like, well, who do I want to be? And maybe in that moment, in that situation, it's just like, you know what? We just need to fucking shoot this. Mm -hmm. That's who I want to be. I want to just get this done. Right. Like, let's do it. And that will be the right decision for you. Another time it'll be more like your situation, which is it's like, you know what? I want to, I need to give this time, this, this some time to breathe. This is not the time to push on this right now. Hmm. I want to give like who I want to be as a person who makes sure that this has the, has a chance or whatever it is. Right. And for me, even with my music, it's just like, who do I want to be? Because I've stared at like looking at a page and with chords and stuff many, many, many times for many years and just been like, no, no, no. And now it's like a situation of like, well, who do I want to be? I'm like, no, I actually, I want to be a person who writes songs. Yeah. You know, who writes for whatever reason. I don't know why I want to fucking do that. I just do. Mm -hmm. But I want to be a person who, who has done that, who, who does it regularly, who will do it until the day I die, you know, I'll just, it's a part of, a part of who I am. Mm -hmm. Right. So that who is a, is a really big thing because, and, you know, practicality and process and art and all of this, you know, like it's these, uh, these decisions make everything what, what it will eventually become what it is. Mm Mm-hmm that makes sense. I don't know. It made sense to me, uh, in my own brain. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Who do I want to be? Let that, uh, let that help guide you in your decisions. Mm. That was good, man. Good chat. Good chat. Good talking about chatty, chatty, chat, chat, (laughs) chat, (laughs) chat. All right. Goodbye everybody. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks. Thanks.